Hello again, my friend. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. This is me, your girl, Lisa Schlossberg. And I am here today just to intro the episode today. That is a really powerful conversation that I have with a former client of mine, Eliza, who I actually did one-on-one sessions with years ago at this point. Um, We have a really awesome talk about many of the things, diet culture, fat phobia, and for me, what I personally thought was very interesting through our work together is how a lot of this stuff affects and manifests in people that have never had a quote-unquote weight issue. For me, my whole childhood, I remember people and society bringing attention to my body weight, shape, and size, and I only ever knew what that was like as someone that was overweight. So I really got a lot out of having Eliza as a client of mine. I learned so much from our work together, Um, and then we have a really great conversation. She has so many nuggets of wisdom that I really think you can take from this no matter what body, shape, size, weight you're in. So I'm really excited to share this one with you. I hope you enjoy. Okay. Hello. We are here today, fam, with a former client of mine, Eliza, who we started working together over two years ago, probably now. Yeah. About that. Yeah. About that time. So it's been a little bit of time since we worked together. We were together for months doing one-on-one work. And Eliza is here to share some of the golden nuggets of wisdom that you have not only learned and practiced a few years ago, but I think really shifted your lifestyle, you know, so that you're still working on and practicing those things today. So I'm really excited that you're here. I'm really eager to hear where this goes and what comes of this, but I'm just so happy to see your face and be in your presence again. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. Um, I know it's been a little while, um, but yeah, I'm happy to share so much. I was actually looking at, I think we started at the end of 2019 or maybe middle um, and then kind of kept going through like the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which I realized, which definitely changed the virtual world. And uh, we were working together virtually, but um that definitely shifted things. So that was interesting. But yeah, I'm Eliza. Um, I am somebody who is in the mental health field. Um, I'm in my 20s. I don't know if you want me to start with like my relationship to food or where I should start. Everyone comes in, they're like, should I just take it away from here? (laughs) So yeah, so I, as you have heard, you know, some of the other podcast interviews, I first would love to just get started with, you know, as you said, you work in the mental health field, you're in your 20s. Where are you from? Where, where in the world are you? I'm from New York, and uh, I'm still here now. Uh, I'm in New York City. I've been here pretty much all my life. Uh, I'm a hardcore New Yorker. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like, it seems like I'm going to stay that way. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's just where, you know, who you are, where you're coming from, but yes, I think, you know, where I want to get started, which is the first few years of your life. To me, it's always important to start at the beginning. You have a story and the beginning of the story is when you got here. So from zero to five, zero to 10 ish, 
if you could just share what you remember, if anything, about your relationship with food, eating, and your body as a kid. Yeah, so the beginning, I guess, of my story, I think I would say zero to eight, really remembering more being seven and eight years old. I was actually a very thin kid, maybe somewhat overweight, I'm sorry, underweight. Um, And, you know, I didn't eat a lot at the beginning. I really had a, a taste only for like pasta and chocolate. And I was at a point in my life where um, my mom was willing to kind of give me anything that I would eat, that I would eat. But because of that, you know, I kind of started my relationship with food, eating things like chocolate and pasta, and then kind of hitting puberty. And my body was changing, um, you know, after a couple of years. You know, one of the biggest things for me is that I had somebody in my family who also struggled with food and eating, and that really impacted uh, a lot of my relationship to it, you know, and that really introduced dieting, introduced just being aware of my size. And, you know, the first thing that I think one of the first things that you and I talked about when we were first working together is, you know, I know that nobody can see me right now, um, but you know, the biggest thing for me was if you looked at me, I think originally you would think, okay, why does this person have an issue with food? You know, um, I've never really been classified as overweight, but I have always struggled with my body and food. Um, and that was um, a big deal to me is, and also the thing was I, I didn't have a quote unquote classic eating disorder. I wasn't, didn't struggle with bulimia. I didn't struggle with anorexia. And so I felt like I was in this in-between place, but I didn't really have anywhere to go because I didn't fit into a program, let's say, but I knew that I was struggling because I spent so much of my time, my thoughts uh, were about food, were about my body, my clothes, what I was eating all the time. And you would never know, right? And I think that's the interesting thing about the mind is, you know, we try to distract ourselves with other things, but it was on my mind all the time, very anxiety provoking. And so that's kind of where I started with working with you. Yeah. Okay. So I think you just took us from zero years old to working with me, which is really great. (laughs) A big jump. So many questions. I have so many questions. (laughs) That is before So let's say before 10 years old. Okay. So you're talking about your relationship with food is you like pasta and you like chocolate and you know that there are some tasty foods that you enjoy and before 10 years old, and maybe you don't remember this, but I'm just curious before 10 years old, are you conscious of your relationship with food? Is there any awareness around like you're only eating certain things and not others? Is this something that's perceived to be good or bad or right or wrong? Like, is there any awareness around it or connection to it? Or it's just kind of like pasta is good and it's that simple. Yeah. You know, that sense of awareness um, really changed. So I actually, I got my tonsils removed when I was like eight or nine years old. And that completely opened up my appetite, which was a good thing, um, you know, to me, because I was like, oh, there are other foods that I actually like. And there's a reason there was like a medical reason why I was not 
eating as much as I, um, as I could and that my taste buds were different. But what really changed my perception or I guess awareness was, you know, this person in my life had made me very aware that my body was changing. And I had this idea that that change meant it was a bad change. And so, you know, a lot of comments were made and there was a lot of kind of fear in our relationship um, about, you know, um, if you gain weight or if your body changes, that's bad. That's a problem. So I think that that idea kind of popped into my head maybe around like 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that idea really continued like for my entire life until I really met you. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So when you're talking about your body changing and being different, is this in relation to you being what we can call quote unquote, like a normal girl moving through puberty or is this now your palate has expanded, you're eating more food and your body is changing, meaning you're gaining weight and getting bigger or both? So I don't, I think that I maybe gained some weight, but I think that the biggest thing, and I, I, I come, I could come back to this more later, but it was really my perception was that my body was changing. Yes, because of puberty. Yes, maybe because of food. But I perceived myself to be so much larger than I actually was. Um, my view was very distorted. And I think that that came from some of these comments that you know came from a family member. Right. Um, and so that's, yeah, I, I think that's kind of what happened. But it took me a very long time for somebody to actually say, like, you're not really in that category. But even though I wasn't in that category, that didn't mean that I didn't have struggles. And I think that was what was really important for me to realize. Yeah. Okay. So now you're around 12 years old and you're starting to kind of piece things together. That is whether it's like true or not, that Mm -hmm. you're feeling kind of uncomfortable, feeling like your body's changing, feeling like that change is bad. And how does that affect you as a 12 year old? Like, what do you do about that? I can't really remember exactly what my size was at 12, but I just remember being really aware of it, you know, just paying a lot of attention to it, a lot of attention to maybe not as much attention to what I was eating, but I was at that time comparing my body to my friends. You know, I had really good friends at the time. We were all going through puberty at different stages and just like a lot of awareness of my body, not necessarily a good or bad feeling, yeah. Um, but just, oh, this is my body, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. And I want to just kind of make a note on that because I appreciate you sharing this and I think it's important to just kind of hear how, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, it's not necessarily good or bad or right or wrong. It's just like a general chronic preoccupation with. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and I want anyone who's hearing this to just hear it the way that I hear it. That is that energy of being preoccupied with the body, even though it doesn't feel good. And even though it doesn't feel comfortable, 
it is our brain's way of checking to make sure that we are safe. So it's not always defining yourself by your body in a good way or defining yourself by your body in a bad way, but to just have a general chronic preoccupation with the body and weight and shape and size is the brain's way of checking, are we still safe? Are we still safe? Do we still feel safe? Is this still where safety comes from? The perception that this is where safety comes from. And so I just think that's important because Mm -hmm. even if, you know, when I say you're 12 years old, so what do you do about it? Well, it doesn't, it's not like we do so much out here in the physical dimension, but we do spend 95% of our thoughts in that place, which is just, you know, keeps our life really small, but in a different way. So Mm -hmm. I just, I think it's important to always be kind of calling out the function of the brain is trying to keep us safe by doing Mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. We know it doesn't feel good. We know we don't like it, but it's really serving a purpose. And, you know, if you're 12 years old and you've internalized that your body's different, your body's changing, it doesn't feel so good. It doesn't feel safe, maybe, Mm -hmm that it's Mm -hmm. changing. It's uncontrollable. How's it going to end? What's going to happen next? And so it's just the brain's way of saying, you're still safe. You're still safe. You're still safe. Just get really preoccupied with your weight. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, I mean, to me, it's, it's incredible the way the brain works because it finds safety in ways that are so uncomfortable. Yeah. So like not nice, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. So your teen years, you're becoming like really aware of your body. And how does that play out mentally, emotionally, physically as a teen? Yeah, I think um, as a teen, you know, I think I became more attuned to society, to um, tabloids, anybody use the word tabloids anymore um (laughs) um you know television all you know all these influences of you know pop stars all these other things models singers and just aware of what their body what their bodies looked like um and what does mine look like and how do we idealize something that we see on tv and I think I became aware of the lengths that people go to, to make their bodies look that way. And I did not think of going at those lengths as a bad thing. I thought that was what you were supposed to do. Mm. So, you know, I didn't like take diet pills or anything, but I was just, I was taught that carbs are bad. You know, I was taught that, you know, I ate a lot of dessert as a kid and pretty much as a teenager too, but, you know, I just, I was told that certain foods are bad, created that association um, because those were the foods that would make you gain weight. Therefore you would not look like X, Y, and Z. And maybe people in your family would be upset, you know, all of these, all of these things. So I became really, really aware of that. I, I didn't, go through really intense lengths. As I said, I I didn't struggle with bulimia or anorexia, but again, it became a big preoccupation. Um, And I also kind of thought that was normal. You know, I thought like everybody must think about that. And to some extent, a lot of people do think about that, but 
is it to the point that it's like impacting your daily life, you know, um, to what extent? So yeah, that was kind of the beginning of that. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're kind of like observing your environment. You're taking in a lot of the messages. You're kind of, you know, like the way I see it is like, you're kind of like sitting back and just like observing, like, Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to weigh? What do I have to do to get there? And I'm curious, like, did you start creating a set of like rules or guidelines for yourself when you say stuff like carbs are bad? Does that mean that you stopped eating carbs? Like how did, how did it start to manifest in the actual relationship with food? If you remember? Yeah, I don't exactly remember where the beginning was, but I was taught from a young age, like from a family member from diet culture that carbs were not good you know that and I was on every diet you could think of I tried every version I tried not eating carbs I I tried eating less dessert I I mean I I just I tried all these random things I tried like South Beach like I don't know Slim Fast Weight Watchers you name it I probably tried it and I think I was I just didn't understand like why it wasn't working and I didn't understand why, even if I did lose weight or if my body did change, um, I wasn't really happier necessarily. I mean, I remember maybe I was like, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe I was like six, 15 or 16. And I got, honestly, I was really sick. Like I had a cold or something, I don't know. And I didn't eat for like a day because I was sick, I didn't have an appetite. And I weighed myself and I saw what I was on the scale and then I put a bikini on and I was like excited by this weight. And I was, I did not at that point realize like how scary that is that, you know, you like, at your worst, right? At being sick, your body is the way you want it to look. You know, I never, at the moment, I didn't process it. And it was something that was just so kind of joked about and encouraged, you know, like, oh, so what? You don't eat for a day or, you know, who needs that bread or, you know, like stuff that that was jokey that eventually I think a lot of us came to realize like, this really isn't funny, you know? Um, And this really impacts people intensely. And in many ways, I feel really lucky because I, you know, I'm okay. But, you know, it's just not something that I think people should joke about anymore. And I think we're, you know, we're becoming a lot more cognizant. And I think we're being, we're much more accepting of people at different sizes. So, yeah. Really powerful. I hear you very much on that. And I really just appreciate that story and you sharing that. So what we know already is now you're around 15, 16, you've done a bunch of diets and these diets, I just want to clarify, these are diets that you have chosen for yourself. These are, you put yourself on a diet. It's not like a parent or doctor. Yeah. I, I never had a doctor tell me I needed to lose weight. Um, I, I didn't have a nutritionist. I never met with anybody like that. I kind of tried things that I knew other people were trying or maybe other people recommended to me. And it was really the mean girl's quote of like, I always want to be losing three pounds. Like 
that's or more you know like it's just a constant way of being um and it's right. it and i think i felt like oh well if you're not trying to lose weight then like what are you doing you know right um that was yeah. very much yeah. very real for me yeah thank you for sharing that i think i hear that a lot and it's very interesting again you and i have talked about this personally and outside of here but the way that like my childhood as a really overweight kid and your childhood as a very like quote normal slash underweight kid is is really different but also in so many ways the same because from my perspective like I used to think that you know of course I feel like I should be losing weight I'm 300 pounds but it was so um, mind-blowing to me you know and I even said this when we were working together but yeah it's like hearing the way that your preoccupation with weight it's as if you had a weight issue and you never right. did. Your doctors never said that to you. No one ever put you on a diet, but so much of what's playing in the back of your head is what's playing in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind, honestly, because I really yeah. didn't realize a couple of years ago, like how internalized the fat phobic and diet culture is, even when you're thin and you've never had a weight issue. Oh and yeah. So much, yeah. Of, you know, what you're saying is you're in this lifestyle of like, if you're not trying to lose three pounds, what are you even doing? Right. And it's like, how did we get here? Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So what happens after 16, 17, you know, let's say from like 18 to 25 or something, like, how does it play out? Yeah. I, you know, um, it's still really hard. Um, I, you know, I went to college and, you know, part of it, part of what was actually nice in college was I got away from my family a little bit, my home a little bit. I definitely gained weight in college. I was, I was very preoccupied with my size also. You know, I, I I think something that I really struggled with, and this was kind of throughout was I was constantly comparing myself to my peers Mm. constantly, like guessing, like what size jeans are those? Like what size shirt is that? Could I fit into that? Is that, would that look good on me? You know, and to feel safe again, Yes, like how, right. It's like, that's exactly what the brain is doing is, am I safe? Will I fit into those pants? Would I fit into that? What size is that? What size is she? What size am I? Safety, safety, safety. That's all. That's what it's seeking. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No. Yeah, no, that's true. And I, you know, I, again, like I was, I wasn't, it wasn't reinforced by any of my friends that I had a weight problem or anything. You know, I had friends who were like particularly thin in college, just by their nature, they weren't dieting. They weren't, you know, and I was just like, well, how can I be like that? Like I was, I was jealous a lot of the time. Um, And you know, at the time I was kind of dating people. And I, I also believed that like, I had to be a certain size to date people. Like I had people wouldn't be attracted mm-hmm. to me if I wasn't a particular size and, you know, the preoccupations just continued. And, you know, when I left college, it was still there. Um, I remember actually my first job out of college. I remember a group of me and my coworkers were on Weight Watchers together. It was I mean, now thinking about it, it was like so inappropriate. We used to like weigh each other 
I mean, not weigh each other, weigh ourselves like as a group. And, you know, I would just feel so guilty if I wasn't following it. And, you know, I remember one of my coworkers said something like, I guess one week I didn't lose weight or whatever. And she said, um, well, did you like really try? And I was like, I guess not, you know, cause I guess I ate this or I ate that, whatever. And then she's like, well, doesn't it feel so much worse than if you actually did try and it didn't work? And I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. And so that was probably, um, what year was that? That was maybe like 26, 15, 2016, you know, those were that when that was happening. And honestly, the preoccupation just continued. And I don't know exactly what it was that made me realize that I really had a problem. Um, I don't know if it was like one particular thing, but something told me like, is there a way that you could live your life and not be thinking about this all the time? Like, is, is that possible? Mm. Um, and, and if it seemed when I first started working with you, like it seemed so impossible to think that I could ever be okay with my body. Like it just seemed astronomical. Um, and it's still a challenge, you know, it's, it's definitely not perfect, but you know, now I can say it's probably been like three years since I've been on a diet. Like I have not been on a diet and it doesn't mean I don't think about it, but I also say to myself, and I, I think what we've talked about, which is important is like, you can eat healthy food and not be on a diet, you know, like you can, it, it there's just, I think the the restriction was such a important thing to learn about. Yeah. But anyway, we can talk about that, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I hear you. And I think this is where a lot of people can relate is it started off as a preoccupation and then it just kind of stuck around and maintained itself and just kind of grew and grew and grew. And then you got to a point where something said, maybe there is another way. Maybe you don't have to spend the rest of your whole life feeling like this. So I know we started working together one-on-one. -on -one, and I think the truth is um, <laughs> no one is going to even be remotely interested in working with me until they have some semblance of that moment of this can be different or just a, just an inkling of curiosity around, I feel like maybe it could be different. And I, I feel like that's almost like a necessary like prerequisite before jumping into any of this work is we have to know that we are kind of really fed up with the way that we've done it and the way that it's felt. And we're going to be really decidedly moving in a different direction. So I, I remember that that's kind of where you were where you were and when we started working together. Um, so I'm curious, once we start working together, you know, what are some of the things like you're saying, it was really important to learn about the restriction. What are some of the things that you remember being really important for you around healing your relationship with food? You know, I remember that when we first started I think I thought <laughs> that you were able to help, you were going to be able to help me to lose weight without um, being on a diet. 
think originally that's kind of what I thought. And, you know, because you had this amazing story and, you know, you managed to do it. And then I realized that my goals kind of changed and the difference was really actually how can, what are, what's a new way that I can think about my body? What's a new way that I can attach? What am I thinking? Um, you know, how can I attach new meaning to my body and new meaning to exercise and new meaning to food? Um, and how can I learn to love myself without only thinking about weight? And I was thinking a lot about, you know, what we used to talk about and you tried to help me separate, kind of both separate and integrate the idea that um, I am so much more than my body, um, you know, and I'm so much more than my weight. And how do you think about yourself, um, not only in physical terms, you know, and um, that was just really impactful because I always put, you know, emphasis on my physical size and that that's what my worth was. You know, the question of what is your worth um, outside of your weight. And that was, that was huge, you know. And the other thing for me was I was really preoccupied with clothing sizes. Again, you know, what is your size? You know, how important is that? And I got to learn that it just doesn't really matter. You know, we used to talk a lot about I had clothes that didn't fit. What do I do with those clothes? Do I try to work on losing weight to fit in those clothes? And I'll tell you, actually, this is pretty big. Some of those clothes that I had from even two years ago, I recently, I kept them for a while. I was like, I have to keep them. I got rid of them. I just said, I don't need them anymore. You know, and that was huge. Huge. I, yeah. I just I never thought. I never thought I'd be okay to get rid of them. Um, so those were some of the things among many others, but those were some of the big things. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate hearing those things. And I think I was kind of saying this in uh, Camlin's interview that it's it can feel really hard to pinpoint like what some of the biggest learnings are and what contributed to the biggest shifts in your life. But I think you said it really well, that is, it can be really impactful to just think of yourself as a human and not a body. And to me, you thinking of yourself and treating yourself as a human is that you're also preoccupied with your mental health and your emotional health and your spiritual and social health. Like just thinking of yourself as including all these different parts and so that automatically expands your understanding of who you are and how to treat yourself. You're not just a body. You're not just physical. It's not all about food. What about all the other parts of you? So I think that's just, you said it, that is a huge impact is just knowing that you're more than your body and, be, and being connected to that on, on a regular basis. So yes. Okay. Now. <laughs> even though you've kind of answered this question. I'm curious about, so getting rid of clothes, I know can be a huge, huge deal. 
And I'm really, really celebrating you for that because I remember those conversations. And so now in, you know, it's been, we spend months working together. You're thinking of yourself differently. You're treating yourself differently. Were there any other things while we were working together that you remember kind of being a big deal or helping you think differently about anything? Yeah, the other thing that comes to, well, I think two things. One was trying to actually get a handle on this idea that my perception of my body wasn't, it's not that it wasn't real because it was real to me, but that my perception is not how everybody else sees me, which I thought was really important because that kind of colored a lot of my experience, you know, was, I think I, I just thought that everybody saw me as much bigger than I was. And I, um, I definitely want to say, you know, how much privilege I do have, you know, as a person who is technically a thinner person. Um, and I, I am very well aware of that, but for many years, I didn't see myself that way. I saw, I didn't, I really didn't. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that to hurt anybody, but it was just, I I just was so distorted, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get out of that. Um, and so that was big. And the other idea that we talked about was the question of like, what is really yours, you know, um, Mm. because I struggled, you know, with a family member who also struggled with food. A lot of those ideas were put onto me and eventually internalized. And so I had to try to separate, and this is something I am still working on, um, but, you know, how do you separate what was somebody else's idea about you versus what you actually believe? Um, And we kind of scratched the surface of that a bit, um, but that was, that was huge because I wanted to actually think like, and actually ask myself, like, what do you actually think about your body on your own? Like, aside from what family thinks aside from, you know, magazines, movies, like what do you believe? And sometimes I still don't really know, (laughs) but um, I think just to be able to have some recognition that those are not the same was really important. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge. I think that's, that's so much of it is seeing yourself as a human, not a body. And then getting really curious about what's in your head that isn't your own. Mm -hmm. Because I think if we combine both of those things, seeing yourself as a human and understanding that a lot of what's going on in there was actually internalized from someone else, now you're really well on your way to creating your own belief system. And I also want to shout out the thing that I appreciate so much about what you just said is sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I don't know the answer. Like sometimes I'm not really clear. Sometimes I'm not really sure. But Mm -hmm. how I think when you're in this place that I call out of the cave, it's so much better to say, I might not know, but I'm not going to let you tell me. Like I'm not going to take what you say to be true. I'm going to actually stick with my uncertainty because my uncertainty is my own. And there's so much power in that. Yeah. That's really big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. 
Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Now, thank you, Eliza. I have a I have a memory of our work together that I am curious. Well, I'm interested to share this. And the good thing is we can cut it all out if you don't want me to. Okay. Please do. I I didn't run this by you at all, but I am. (laughs) I remember this because it was very impactful for me. And um, it, it really speaks to what you're saying about the distortion of basically body dysmorphia. That's what we're talking about. And how I hear you very clearly that you're not saying, you know, your perception is that being bigger would make you a bad person, but that you've internalized that being in a bigger body makes you feel unsafe. That's, that's what's happening. So whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, that's the truth of what's happening in your brain is that when your body gets bigger, there's a preoccupation that you're losing your safety because you internalize that. And that's really valid and really fair. It's not fat phobic. It's just the way of the brain. So Mm -hmm. having said that, I remember when we were working together and your lower back started hurting. Do you remember this? Yes. Mm -hmm. And at the time, like you said, when we first started working together, the, the, the priority was how can I lose weight and keep it off? That ended up shifting a little bit, but I remember you were in this place of, I've put a few pounds on my body. I've gained some weight and that must be why my lower back hurts. And I remember hearing that and being like absolutely astonished that you would even come to that conclusion because again, there is some value to talking about body size. And the truth is like, you're in a thin body, relatively thin body. You have been, I've always known you that way. And so when I heard from someone that's always been in a thin body and still was in a thin body to say, I've gained, you know, maybe five, 10 pounds, like something around there. And that's probably why my lower back hurts. I was just like blown away that you could even believe that to be true. And also it made me like really sad that that's your conclusion and that's your assumption and how much internalized like fat phobia from the medical model and everything else there is that if you have lower back pain, it must be because of the five, 10 pounds you put on your body and like the anxiety and fear around like, am I causing my body that much stress? Is it really that bad? Am I really that big that my body is, is hurting because of my size? And I just, Like I think about that all the time, honestly, because I was, I was just amazed that you in a thin body and always have been had such a, had such a fear of that. And I just think it's so much to what you're saying of like this really charged um, dysmorphia that even when your lower back starts hurting, that's the immediate assumption. And I don't know. Do you, how do you feel just hearing me say that? Yeah, I, um, I really, I do remember that. And I have to say that I have felt that way about other parts of my body. Um, and you know, like my stomach or, or something. Um, and just the idea that, you know, I think it's the idea that 
God, like so much emphasis gets put on. If you are this size, you are unhealthy, you know? Um, And that, that, that was so internalized by me. And also that it's like this idea of, oh, you're doing this to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, you're, because you gain this weight, you know, you, your back is hurting. It's your fault. It's something that you can do to fix and to change. Um, and just, I mean, the way that, I mean, pain is, I know we talked about this, you know, how complicated people's relationships are to pain, but, um, in some ways it makes so much sense to me that, 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 like, that's where my stress and anxiety goes is my back, um, and my stomach. Um, and so, yeah, I had completely internalized that idea. Um, and, you know, honestly, it still comes up sometimes, you know, I, I think like, yeah, that's, that's why, you know, that must be why, but yeah, it definitely speaks to the complexity of, you know, the way that we learn about health, we, you know, internalize ideas about thinness and health and, um, and size and health, you know? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I remember a lot of, a lot of what we talked about was the difference between weight and health because there's a huge difference between weight and health as is very clear in probably just listening to this. So, okay, many golden nuggets from you. Um, Are there any other things now? So not just from our work together, but I'm curious to hear about kind of like how things started shifting and manifesting differently in your life and lifestyle. I remember that one big thing we talked about was, I mean, a lot of things, but exercise, you know, um, it took me a while, a while, a while, a while to find an exercise that I actually just liked. And I didn't have the intention of doing it to lose weight. Um, this is something I still really struggle with, to be honest, but um, I did get a Peloton. Um, I, uh, and it, it it's so funny because I really had to ask myself, like, are you getting this because you like spinning? Because I do actually really like spinning. Or are you getting this because, because of the way it's been advertised around losing weight, about looking fit, about like, really how, why do you want this? And I said, no, like, I really like spinning. And the pandemic has taken that away from me. And this is a way that I can do it at my in my home. And it's still, I still have thoughts of, you know, am I, you know, doing this exercise for a purpose? You know, um, I still sometimes have thoughts of I ate this food, I should exercise today. Um, And then I, I really try to be more attuned with myself and say, no, actually, I'm really tired. I really need sleep or actually, I'm really hungry. It's okay to eat this much and not exercise today. I you know, those were big things thinking about my food choices. And the other thing I have to say that we talked a lot about was hunger, because for me, I used to associate hunger as bad, you know, like you shouldn't be hungry. Don't listen to your hunger. And it took me a long time to almost like reorient my body to being hungry. Um, and I'm trying really, really hard to just listen to that. Um, 
you know, it's, it's hard, but sometimes I think when you break it down into these smaller steps, you know, um, and I, I remember like we, I, I was in amazement because I was like, how is it so simple? Like you just eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full, like, sure, that makes so much sense. And then we think about like why people eat and or why I eat. And a lot of times it was out of anxiety, stress, you know, depression, all these things. And so when you actually like listen to your body of I'm hungry, that's different. I mean, I also want to say it's really important for people to know that it's okay for you to eat when you're not hungry. Um, because I still do that. I'm not saying that I'm perfect <laughs> um, yeah. at all, but just being aware of that and trying to be okay with it and trying to be okay with making the decision that, yeah, I'm going to eat ice cream because I want ice cream, not I'm eating ice cream because I hate myself and I might as well just like suffocate myself with ice cream. Those are really different things. Right. Right. Um, I have been in both situations. So um, <laughs> yeah, those were big. Yeah. Huge. Thank you for sharing that. So what I love about hearing you say these things is not just what you're saying, but the way that you're saying it, meaning like when you say, um, you know, I still have these thoughts sometimes and this stuff still comes up sometimes. It's just now the difference is it's not all the time, everything. And when it comes up, I'm aware of it. I'm awake to it rather than just kind of hearing it and believing it on autopilot. What you're saying is you're just really illustrating what it means to be a human doing this work. That is, it's not perfect and we're not going for perfection. What we're going for is consciousness. That yes. is when this stuff comes up, you're aware of it so that you have in some cases, a moment of choice and a moment of freedom from that story so that you can actually show up differently. So I think there's so much around, you know, listening to your body, eating when you're hungry and finding exercise that feels safe for you. All of that is important, but I think the reason that it feels good is because you're in a place of not seeking it, seeking perfection. Yeah. You, you feel like to me, you sound so resolved in being in the process and this is one day at a time and you're living with your body and your brain and they're not going anywhere. And you're just kind of hanging out here doing your best. And from, from the body perspective, from the physiological perspective, you can imagine, I think how much internal safety it creates when there is no need to be perfect. The goal is to just be awake. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think what I realized, remember we were talking about like kind of quote unquote dangerous foods or whatever, however that's become categorized. And my food was potatoes. And um, <laughs> this was a big deal. This is like your frozen yogurt story. And yeah. you had, you said to me, you just, you just have to eat them. You know, there's kind of no way around it. And, you know, when you create associations of good and bad food, it's really hard to untrain yourself to think, um, okay, this is no longer good. This is no longer bad. This is just a food. Uh, regardless, let's not talk about ingredients. Let's talk about associations. 
Um, and I realized when you're talking about safety, it, it became so much easier for me to say, I am so thankful to be able to eat potatoes, a burger, whatever the hell it is, to just allow myself to eat it instead of saying, you can't have this. Because regardless of the weight that I gain from eating potatoes or eating a burger or whatever it is, that feeling of not restricting yourself, of knowing that you can eat it and after that you're going to be okay is kind of priceless, you know? Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't, again, I can't say never have a thought of like, I shouldn't eat this, but to be able to wake up the next day and be like, I'm still okay. I'm still here. Um, I did eat those things. I almost, I mean, almost as a challenge to yourself, like I'm still here. I'm still the person, you know, because yeah. there was so much fear around food and around specific yeah. foods, spe- you know, specifically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's big. Yeah. So big. And I feel you so much. And to me again, like just connecting it back to the neurobiology of emotional eating and survival and all of the things, the reason, and we're going to talk more about this on this podcast, but the reason that it is not actually helpful in the long run, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, to have a dichotomy of good food and bad food. There's a lot we could say about this, but the reason it's really not helpful or actually effective is because what it does is create a dichotomy of safety and danger. So whether you're consciously feeling that way or not, right? Like most of us are not sitting down in front of a cheeseburger and feeling consciously afraid like it's a saber-toothed tiger. Some of us are. Like I've certainly been in that place where I sit down in front of a cheeseburger and I feel like it's a tiger that's chasing me. But many of us who really aren't kind of looking at our relationship with food, if we have a good-bad dichotomy, we're creating safety and danger. So what that means for the part of us that is what we could call kind of like the inner child, what that means for us is that if we eat certain foods, it feels like we'll be safe. And then if we eat other foods, it feels like we'll be in life-threatening danger. And so the reason, Eliza, what you're saying is that it's such a huge shift. It's so priceless to wake up the next morning and realize that you are alive and that you are okay and that you are still in one piece is because as, you know, as like kind of comical and ridiculous as it sounds, like part of your brain really didn't believe that you were going to survive that. There was a part of your brain that really was convinced for you, if you eat potatoes, you're not going to survive. And you're not thinking that consciously. It's just the association. So for you to, this is where, for me, it becomes about exposure therapy. That's, that's exactly what you're doing by eating the potatoes. You're exposing yourself to the thing that your brain thinks is going to kill you. So that over and over and over again, your brain learns that if you eat potatoes, you're going to survive and it's going to be okay. And you are safe. You are safe if you eat the potatoes. You're safe if you don't eat the potatoes. But before we can talk about healthy or unhealthy food or any of that stuff, first we have to feel safe. And that is, the, that is the huge value of kind of eliminating that good, bad dichotomy is that no matter what you do, you're okay. 
totally. when your mind body yeah. system feels that i mean it's priceless that's what you're talking about yeah 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 i mean i think just one important thing for people to know i think is that it's hard it's yeah. going to be hard yeah and unfortunately aspects of this will likely live with us for maybe the rest of our lives but that doesn't mean that it can't get better yeah. and that change can happen um you know and i think that that's and I, honestly that is the biggest emphasis on the anti-diet culture is that your body is forever you're trying to keep your body as long as you can diets are not forever and you have to eat yeah. you know so um and also diets try to show you that there's an end goal for us the end goal is living yeah. right is is how you know i think what's hard is that people feel like oh I have to go through this process because I have to love my body. And um, what if at the end of this, I don't love my body? And I agree, you know, I, there are days when I do not love my body, but that does not mean that you should treat your body like crap, mm -hmm. you know, and that um, you should be so, so mean to yourself, you know, I'll speak for myself, you know, I was so hard on myself. Yeah. Um, so hard on myself. And there are just other ways. Yeah, you know, there are other ways to be. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. The way I think about this is like, even to your point, that is, even if you don't love your body, and you don't love what it looks like, like, I'm really not concerned very much with whether or not you like what your body looks like. But to me, the bigger question is, can you treat yourself with love, regardless of how you feel about your body? Because that really takes work for you to say, I don't love what it looks like, but I'm going to be nice to it anyway. That's you really advocating for yourself. That's you really standing up for yourself. That's really you saying, I refuse to define myself by a number and that I am worthy of love, regardless of what this number is or how I look. It's huge in taking yeah. your power back. That's what it is. So thank you for that. And you're kind of answering this question, but I did just want to ask you, I know that you've, you've come a really long way in the last couple of years in this. And my kind of next slash last in some ways question is like, what would you say to someone, you know, and you, you kind of just did, but if there's anything that you would say, you know, maybe to yourself a couple of years ago or someone that's really resonating with your story that wants to do some of this work, what would you want to share with them? I think that's a really good question. You know, I think one big thing is I know that when I first started, I knew where my mind was, which is it's impossible to change. You know, how, I, I mean, especially when you've been living, most of us have been living with this mindset for most of our lives. Yeah. You know, how, how can I get to a different place? And it is possible. Um, but I think also you kind of just have to take a chance. And especially if you have the inkling that it could be better. Something that really resonated with me was honestly seeing you was and seeing other people like you who I felt like 
you just make it look so easy to be able to just be, to just eat, to be quote unquote regulated. Um, and I just thought, how, how come that can't be me, you know? Um, and it's, it's really scary. And I think that what I knew was diet culture was familiar to me and it was also my safe haven in many ways. So leaving that and going against the quote unquote, on, against the grain, against what most people are telling you to do is really hard um, because there are still gonna be a lot of people, there's still gonna be a lot of messages that tell you your way is wrong. And people are gonna believe what they, they do, but it's okay if you think differently. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Sometimes I think of this as like, just because withdrawal is really hard is not a good reason to keep doing drugs. Like it's yeah. hard, you yeah. know? And as we've talked about on this podcast, what we get from Nicole Sachs, that theory of what hurts, what hurts worse. It's like recovery is hard. And also living steeped on autopilot in diet culture is also really hard. So I hear you. It's so valid. I appreciate you sharing that really honestly. It's not always easy, but it's, I think we could say worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for people who have just been on diets for most of their life, you know, I think, I, I mean, I've just seen this with people I know, you know, it's like, we know it doesn't work. You know, why would we still be on a diet? Why would we, we be trying something else? You know, and we've just been told, of course it works. Of course it works. How could it not work? And the system is made for you to feel like you fail because if you, if it doesn't work for you, then something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference is there isn't something wrong with you. You know, you realize that there's something wrong with the culture and the system. Yep. So what can you do to, you know, I feel like I'm channeling Glennon Doyle, but you know, it's like, it's not you, you yeah. know, there's something wrong with the culture. And I think it's really important for people to hear that, even if they're not ready to take the, the next step, but to not make a diet feel like you're the problem because you're not. Yes. Nodding my head off. Yes. Thank you. Oh, is there anything else just in, in wrapping up here? Is there anything else that you want to make sure you give voice to or mention that you haven't yet that just feels kind of important on your heart? Um, not really. I, I think last thing I would like to say is if you're a person who has either friends or family or who has also struggled with food um, and by proxy you have, you know, I, I see you, I know how hard that is. And I think one important thing, last thing I wanna say is there is a way to break intergenerational drama and intergenerational patterns. And especially when it comes to food, I know this is really, really hard, but it's possible. Um, and that was one of my biggest goals too. 
um, was not only for myself, but just for other people in my life, you know, so I hear you and see you and um, thank you so much. Wow. Thank you so much. That made me emotional because it's so good and it's so true and so real. Oh, I appreciate you so much. Every single word you you said is so valuable. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your story and your courage and your bravery and showing up and doing this. We'll be in touch. I think you'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely happy to come back. And thank you so much um, for doing this. And thank you for all the work that you do. Amazing. I love you. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Thank you, as always, so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a member of the Out of the Cave community. And lastly, if you have any questions, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please always feel free to email me, lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. That will be in the show notes for you always. And if you're interested in working together twice a month, please feel free to also come join my monthly membership. I hope to see you there. Have a great week, you guys. I love you.